having somebody think that they're less than. I see that all the time in my students and I'm constantly just encouraging them, no, it's okay. In fact, it's probably good that you made this mistake now so you don't make it later. Kristen Hogriff Parnell writes suspenseful fiction from a Christian faith perspective for both teens and adults. Her young adult dystopian series, titled The Revisionary, received the Sela and Grace Awards for speculative fiction. And now the Blythe Daniel Agency is representing her new romantic suspense project called Take My Hand. She also teaches English online and has served in youth ministry for several years. In addition to her active writing and teaching careers, she's an inspirational speaker for graduation ceremonies and women's events, as well as now a workshop presenter at writers' conferences. Kristen and her husband live in the sunny state of Florida and love to share their lake home with family and friends. I hope you enjoy our conversation today on the Encouragers United podcast. Hey, hey, what's up, everybody? Thanks so much for joining us for the Encouragers United podcast this week. And I have the pleasure of introducing a new friend from the state of Florida. Her name is Kristen Hogriff Parnell. Kristen, say hello. Hello. Thank you so much for having me join you today. Oh, it's great to have you. You are a creative, a self-proclaimed creative, but you're an author. And you've written a book. uh, It's actually a series. And why don't you just tell us a little bit about your books? Well, thank you for that invitation. Um, Yes, I am an author and my current trilogy is a young adult dystopian trilogy. And um, maybe you are or you aren't familiar with that term dystopia or dystopian, but the the best way to kind of think about that is it's a futuristic setting where typically the world is upside down. You know, you might have the government turning on the people or there's some kind of calamity, Um, but a popular genre or popular series that really came out a few years ago was The Hunger Games. So when you think dystopia, think Hunger Games, that's the genre we're dealing with. And it's called The Revisionary, right? Can you give us just a little teaser on the plot? Give us just a little bit of a hint. Just a little. Okay. So the reason I um, really love this concept is, so yes, it's a dystopian story. And the, the premise is that my heroine, whose name is Portia, is accepting her draft to this elite elite university. And the reason for her doing that is she believes that by becoming a revisionary, which is a person who can rewrite the laws, she can bring back her exiled brother. But in the process, she realizes that there are many more people than her brother, including herself, who are in need of redemption. And so my whole goal with this book and the trilogy itself is to have my character rediscover American history and in the process find hope for her own world. And so, yeah, it's really, it's a relevant story. It has snap, um, has snippets, I guess you could say, of American history in it as well for those who like history. Um, But really just that that journey of rediscovering, you know, what is the source of hope? Who is the source of hope? And how have we gotten so derailed from that? And that is a great, yes, that's a great segue because as I forgot to mention before, but you are a Christian person, you're a person of faith. And I think that's so unique that you're, you're producing that creative gift and, and the results of that in a, in a faithful manner. Um, Tell me how your faith 
uh, informs what you're doing and in the way of creatively writing in these fantasy or more, you know, like you say, a, a dystopian kind of way, it's, it's very unique. And so tell us how your faith affects that work. Yeah, great question. And it really does. I mean, as a believer, my faith shapes whether I'm talking to my students in an online conversation or whether I'm writing even a fictional story, it shapes the whole perspective of the story. So for Portia, my character in this futuristic context, the world is it doesn't know who God is. It's basically the Bibles have been, um, nobody has a Bible anymore. So she doesn't know who God is. She doesn't know what the Bible is. And so through her own journey of self-discovery, I'm able to present the gospel. So she starts as an unbeliever. She doesn't know God, but through this journey, she discovers who he is and why he is her source of hope. So um, that's one way it definitely comes through in the story. But I wanted to take that perspective because Perhaps, you know, even though it is Christian fiction, I wanted to also reach that more general market so that if somebody who doesn't know Jesus picks this up, um, perhaps this could be their first, you know, first glimpse into who he is. Oh, no doubt. And, and I think uh, as I've done my research, your work is really popular with young adults. And, mm -hmm. and that, that's primarily your, and maybe even young adult females, right? Young right. ladies. Uh, and this uh, genre, you mentioned the Hunger Games. Uh, I am the wonderful, thankful father of three daughters myself oh, uh, who came through the and read those books and mm -hmm. were, you know, um, and a couple other, you know, titles in that kind of style. Sure. Um, but I, I think that's so unique and it's so great that they would be sort of a, attracted to, you know, this uh, storyline and the excitement and the drama and sort of the, right. you know, the fantasy of that and, and getting, creating those characters in that world uh, and then redeeming them in essence, mm -hmm. right? It, it is, I'm not exactly. overstepping by saying that. No, yeah. you're not. She, um, one of my Amazon reviewers, that was the one thing she said, you know, she discovers her own redemption in the process of trying to save her brother. And so yeah. just that underlying emphasis that, you know, we can't save ourselves and we can't really, we can't save anyone else either. So um, it has to be from outside ourselves. Right. Sure. And that's such a, a concept that uh, today's culture really needs to be reminded of, isn't Definitely. it so? Um, so tell us about um, the early response that you've gotten or the feedback that you are getting. You mentioned Amazon there, but what, what, mm -hmm. what types of impact do you think you're making in young adults and folks who are reading your work? Sure. And yes, I have heard back from several young adults, whether they were my students or even young adults that I've met at book fairs. Uh, one such young lady just totally made my day when she took time to email me. And she just said, your book made me feel so many emotions. And she said, and, and I didn't like them all, but I learned how to deal with them or like the villain. Like she's like, oh, he's just creeps me out. But that was a good thing. He was supposed to creep me out because he was the villain, you know? Um, yeah. So just seeing them really engage with the characters or even secondary characters, because even though my heroine is, is a girl, like I do have really strong a male cast as well. And so some of my male students have also told me they've enjoyed reading the books. So I just like that it's encouraging them to think, to engage with that kind of conflict that, you know, they're going to run into levels of conflict, layers of conflict as they grow up. So just to... Um, give them an example of how to approach some of those things. Absolutely. No doubt. Um, I'm going to kind of jump down to the business side of your work as an author. And now you have this world, you have these sets of sure. characters, you know, 
Um, what are some of the strategies now that you have to sort of promote this? And I, I'm thinking you're probably working on a sequel mm -hmm. or a set of sequels, right? Does this story so continue? I mean, it could. At the moment, I have it closed off as a trilogy. So the third book does provide closure. I mean, okay. there's still loose ends because that's life. <laughs> you know, nothing's really ever neatly wrapped up in a bow. Um, but right now it is concluding with that third book. But yes, I am working on some other young adult projects and then even branching into like an adult fiction project. Um, so we're just going to see which doors, um, which doors open sooner than others. And, and, you know, this might put you on the spot, but I mean, sure. where, when, once uh, life sort of opens up again and we can do mm -hmm. some book signings and you can do some appearances, where, where do we go with this? Where are you headed with this, Kristen? What, sure. what would be your dream for what God has put inside you and the books and the stories? I love that. I love that you asked about the dream because we all can. And then also obviously just trust God to redirect and reshape that dream as it needs to be. Uh, but I would love to have to continue to publish young adults. I have another young adult suspense story, which is more in line with my, my first trilogy. Um, I also am working on like another speculative fiction, which is more of a broader header for like dystopian or fantasy as well. And I also have a spiritual growth for young adults. So I, again, just have that heart for mentoring and fiction lends itself so well to presenting truth that it's kind of my heart is fiction, but at the same time, there are some topics that just need to be presented, you know, very clearly. And so um, God's given me a burden for a nonfiction spiritual growth as well. So mm. we'll see. And then, like I said, um, again, my, my suspenseful fiction, I also have a completed manuscript for, for adult women as well. So um, awesome. I'm just trying to use my time well. COVID, yes, definitely has closed up a lot of those avenues that you would typically see as far as conferences. But yeah, I'm just excited to see when things start opening, what doors will open as well. Yeah, absolutely. And um, this is just kind of off the top of my head, but do you write every day? Do you find yourself writing every day? It is a discipline, isn't it? It is. And I do write in some way every day. I journal in my quiet time every morning. Nobody else is going to see that but me, but that's still writing. Um, and then, yes, at least a couple times a week, I'd set aside intentional time to work on a project or whether it's the, the actual drafting stage or the editing stage. Yeah. But yes, yeah. as writers, we have to be so intentional about setting time for that. Yep. And there's a life cycle to that and, and a discipline mm -hmm. to, to, to laying it out. Um, you know, a lot of this I see pairing really well with your work. Uh, I read that in your bio probably earlier, but um, that you've worked with in youth ministry and you've worked mm -hmm. with this age group and the issues yes. and the, the, you know, the circumstances that they find themselves in and in, which is even different from when you were that age and even right. more different from when I was that age. What do you think sure. um, the, the, the major issues or the major themes that today's young people are dealing with the most? what some of those themes are in my book or just themes in Yeah, general. just in life. Yeah, I was thinking in just in, yeah. in, you know, in myself being in ministry. Yeah. What are they facing today? Well, I think something that is across the board, whether it was when we were growing up or today, something that's remained constant is this fear of failure and mistakes, because I see it all the time in my students. Um, if I reassign something, I'll get this, oh, I'm I'm so sorry. I can't believe I did that. And I'll be like, whoa, time out. You don't need to apologize. Failure is part of learning. Like we all fail. We all, you know, we have to in order to grow. And so I see this fear of failure of um, 
of having somebody think that they're less than. I see that all the time in my students and I'm constantly just encouraging them, no, it's okay. In fact, it's probably good that you made this mistake now so you don't make it later. Um, so that's like just one theme I see all the time with my students. And then in youth ministry, of course, you have um, just the, the desire for acceptance, for, you know, to be accepted or on the flip side of that is to fit in and to try to, you know, cram into a mold. So, but finding that fine line of, you know, who you are in Christ and standing firm on what he says about you and not about what the world says about you. I think those are just themes that are relevant, you know, today, tomorrow, and into the future. Yeah. Well, and, and what I can imagine is that you have taken some of those challenges and you've written them into your stories. I can tell already just by how you have explained sure. them. And that's the, that's the attraction. That's the, you know, that these young people or the folks that would read your work could relate, mm -hmm. you know, to that. That's Absolutely. obviously how you make a character approachable and, and accessible. Um, sure. And so I think that's so wonderful. And, and so there's this value added to your work and in, in, in your faith. And so I think that's just brilliant. Um, last question here with regard to your sure. writing and your, cause we got some other things we want to talk yeah. about. Right. But um, you know, is there, is there value for an older guy like me to read fiction rather than nonfiction? We joked before we started recording mm -hmm. that, you know, I don't read, I don't read uh, much fiction. Tell me, uh, make a little sales pitch or an elevator pitch to an old guy like me, why uh, Christian fiction would be enriching to my life. Sure. And I'm so glad you asked that because you're not the first person who, who has that perspective. And I love that you're just really transparent transparent about it because it is a great question. How can something that's make-believe add value to my life? And my perspective on that is that fiction, yes, while it's designed to entertain and to engage the reader and pull them out of their everyday into a new world, it also presents truth in a non-threatening environment. So instead of me telling my readers, you know, you can overcome all these setbacks in your life, which is something a non-fiction book would do. My story shows my heroine overcoming these setbacks in her life and how she does it. And so in that sense, I feel like fiction really mirrors real life by presenting truth, but through a story. And don't we all love a story? Absolutely. Um, so that's, well, our, that's the value from our Lord see. Jesus used many stories as well. He did. Yeah. He used parables. And metaphors and illustrations and concepts that help us learn those things. I love it. You, you can just you can tell a teenager, you know, this is it, mm -hmm. or you can show them and engage them in that content. And so brilliant work, right. Kristen. Thank you so much for your gift and, and for what you're doing, because I think that's awesome. Um, you're investing in people that way, uh, but you're also uh, working as an instructor, as a teacher. Yes. Tell us your role now and what you're doing as an online educator. Sure. So yes, I do have the privilege of working with primarily seventh and ninth graders five days a week in an online setting. And I actually have been doing this pre-COVID. So when most of the world was scrambling to figure out like, how can I survive working from home? I'm like, oh, I've, I've been doing that. <laughs> so it was neat for me to kind of encourage some of my peers who all of a sudden found themselves teaching at home and just to be like, yes, you can do this. Yes, this, this format does work and can work. So yeah, it's been a privilege to have done it pre-COVID, but then just to see so much of the value in it in this crazy COVID world 
world that we're living in. Yeah, and and tell us specifically, you're working in the English area. That pro- probably yes. makes sense, right? You, right. Uh, like I, I joked with you beforehand, you're living your craft, you're teaching it, <laughs> and you're doing it. Um, and like you said, with seventh and ninth graders, and uh, tell us a little bit of the specifics. Is that through an online program, or a, like a, a software like Zoom or you know, Google sure. Classroom or something like that? Sure. And there are so many different types of online education. I actually teach through an accredited Christian school that's online. And all the teachers, with a few exceptions, work remotely all around the United States. And we communicate with our students through Blackboard sessions, which are similar to Zoom. And we also have designated times where they can just join a Zoom meeting and talk to an English teacher, whether it be their designated teacher or or, you know, another teacher. So it is a lot of independent work. It's designed to be a student-driven curriculum, but we're here to help them each step of the way if they have questions and they don't understand something. So even though I have hundreds of students, which to a brick and mortar teacher would be terrifying because that just wouldn't work, um, it really is a lot of one-on-one when they come to me for that help. Wow. See, what, what, I'm, what I'm envisioning is that, like you said, you were doing this in the, uh, with the understanding that it was online even before the pandemic and before right. the changes that we've all had to make. So you had a different context and a different mm-hmm. foundation even before you, you know, like now uh, it's kind of like everybody else has, has been forced to do it the way you're, you were already doing it. And so right. that mindset is already set for you and your colleagues uh, that, you know, we've been doing this online in this fashion. Now, have you seen an uptick in your students? You have a lot more now? Yes. Yeah. Yes. This year, the the enrollment has spiked considerably. And we're glad that we were prepared and equipped to be here to meet that need. And, you know, whether some of these students are just here for a season, and I have a couple students who've told me, yeah, you know, my parents just wanted to invest to make sure I still got a good education until things calm down. Um, and I'm like, great. I'm glad you're here for that time whereas others may discover they love it and want to stay with us, you know? So either way, whether it's for a season or for the duration of their education, I'm just glad that we can be there to fill that gap and meet that need. You bet. Yeah, with with tools and forethought into mm-hmm. making that education the best that it can be. Right. I think of many uh, churches in my context where we were broadcasting and we were doing mm-hmm. some things online already. Sure. And so all it did is what we've understood is that the pandemic and and this coronavirus has kind of just accelerated everything about right. 30 years, you know, like yeah. we were going to end up here anyway. Anyway, now, right. But now we are already there. And uh, again, um, why don't you just all outline on a day-to-day basis the, some of the, the positives and the great things about online education that you've, un, you know, that you know, but some of the limitations also in the weaknesses that, that folks are trying to probably manage right now. Some of the pros and cons. Yeah. And I tell any parent, um, you know, when they're trying to decide what's right for their child, not one educational environment is going to be right for every child. You need to choose the the environment that is right for your students. So some students will thrive in a brick and mortar school. Some will thrive in online education. And so, yeah, either way, there's pros and cons. But some of the things I love about online education, and I actually wrote a blog post about it a few weeks back because I just felt like it was so valuable for people to see what the benefits could be. Um, just some things are 
that the student gets to work at his or her own pace. And I know when I taught in brick and mortar, that was a frustration for me as a teacher because I knew I had to present the content, but I had accelerated students over here. I had struggling students here. These kids would get bored. These kids would be lost versus with online education. It's one-on-one. -on -one. You go at your own pace. If you need help, you come talk to me and you don't have to worry about anyone else interrupting that conversation. So that's one aspect I really love. Um, and then I also just really appreciate the flexibility for the students and families, as well as a certain amount of flexibility for the teachers. Um, I had one mom, I was talking to her the other day and she was just telling me how they were motivating their son that if he maintained, you know, A's and B's, you know, reasonable, expectation for, for this student. That may not be an expectation for all students, but for their son, they knew it was. And she said, if he maintained those grades and he stayed on pace, then he would be able to go on this trip he wanted to go on and he could take the time off and do it. Wow. You know, you can't do that necessarily in a brick and mortar school. Yeah. Um, just so the flexibility, the way that students, we also have a lot of students. I mean, we have athletes, we have professional dancers, we have Olympians, like mm -hmm. <laughs> these students. And again, not every student falls into those categories, but if you're pursuing a specific passion or a specific um, occupation, this program lets you have the flexibility to do all those things and still get an education. So those are the, some of the things I love. I love being able to see students pursue dreams and still get their quality education. On the downside for some students, since it really is more independent work, that just doesn't work as well. Um, some students do need that constant interaction with a teacher. And so for those students, you know, they might more, they might struggle in this type of environment. Um, another drawback could just potentially be um, students who tend to isolate can isolate even more in an online mm -hmm. environment. Yeah. And so they really have to be intentional whether they're involved in outside activities or to take advantage of the social engagement that we offer through the academy. So I have noticed some students, I'm trying to pull them out. I'm like, okay, come talk to me. Don't hide behind a monitor and don't pretend your questions are going to go away. You know, you got to come talk to me. So I think those would possibly be the two bigger drawbacks. Um, but if the parent is there in either situation, whether you're brick and mortar, whether you're a hybrid or online, uh, the key is that parent parental involvement with the teacher. Like we're partners um, and I can't do this effectively without parents who aren't there motivating and encouraging their students and redirecting them when they need that redirection. So uh, the key is really the parents. Yeah, that was going to be my next question to you, but maybe we can just fill that out a little bit more. Give uh, the, the parents that might be listening right now of sure. children of all ages, actually, that, you know, this has been a pivot for them and, and this fall, you know, last spring and this fall now, they're just like, mm -hmm. oh, I had no idea how to handle this. Give from right. a teacher's perspective, encourage those parents, speak right to them now, give them, give them your best advice as to how to get through this and, and to make this pivot. Yeah, definitely. The key is going to be using, and again, every online program is probably a little different. So just because my school does it a certain way doesn't mean another school will. But to find out what the resources your school has, like what are they, you know? Because a lot of times a student will see the parent sitting right here and say, well, I don't understand um, how a clause can act as an adjective, you know? And then the parent's like, I don't know, I haven't done clauses in years, you know? Yeah. So instead of like trying to solve this, the child's problem for them, be like, hey, your school has this, online office hour where you can go talk to your teacher, go talk to your teacher. And in that sense, 
like the parent obviously frees themselves up from having to have all the answers. So parents, you don't have to have all the answers. You just have to know where to go to get them and where to send your student to get them. So I would just encourage parents, like don't try to solve all of their problems. Um, yes, it's great that they're coming to you and letting you know they need help and then redirect them back to their teachers who can help them. And that will just take that huge burden off of the parents from having to feel like they have to know everything. Well, yeah, and, and to remind them that it's a process. And, and mm-hmm. you mentioned it even earlier is that this generation, perhaps of young, young adults are, are just struggling that they have to be perfect and that they're, you know, there's this right. comparison game with social media and some of the, the other media stuff that they're exposed to. And, mm-hmm. and parents are you know, I'm one of them. I, I'm very quick to try to solve sure. the problems rather than to just sit back and say, okay, here's some tools. We're going to let you problem solve this. Right. And that's part of the maturity that comes. And I think, uh, you know, I think back to even my days when my parents made me take responsibility for myself, mm-hmm. not in a mean way, but just saying, okay, son, right. this is what you got to do. So figure it out. And, uh, you know, and, and your advice is really, really helpful. So, uh, it's going to take patience. Sure. We've got to wait it out here, mm-hmm. you know, and to do the best we can with the yeah. resources that we have. Um, you know, Kristen, this has been awesome. I've got one one more question for you here. It's going to kind of shift gears again, but I want you to speak to the creatives out there who feel like, man, I, I kind of would want to do that. I, I think maybe I have a story mm-hmm. inside me. Um, encourage the the folks that that, you know, maybe feel like they have a book inside them. How did you get started and and what would you say to those folks that are like, I think I might like to try that? Well, I would just say I got started at ground zero. (laughs) I was, I started writing in, um, I think it was for my older brother's middle school project. So I was borderline elementary middle school. And so I don't really count that as a start of my professional career, but that's where I started writing stories with my brothers and our friends. And so When I did get more serious, you know, high school, I'd written some novels, and after college, I continued that process of trying to find a publisher. You know, I didn't know anything about the publishing journey. I didn't know there were conferences where you can meet with industry professionals. I didn't know that there were critique groups that can help you work on your craft before you submit to professionals. So I tell people I did everything backwards. And so if you are listening and saying, I have a dream to write this, or I have a story God's given me, but I have nowhere to start, my best advice would be to get plugged into a writing group because they're going to be able to help you fine tune your craft in a safe environment. You know, they're going to be your friends. They're going to tell you what you're doing well and where you need work. So start with a critique group. And if you're interested, I have some resources on my website for that that I can recommend. Um, And then as you're developing your craft, you know, start taking, there's tons of webinars. There's actually multiple online conferences now because of COVID that are free that people can either go to and listen to or they can invest in. There's some that are also have a cost. And so just start listening, start learning, start connecting with other writers. And then you're gonna grow so much. Um, You're gonna have opportunities to maybe guest blog or just start building your platform. and, And God will open the right doors and close the wrong ones. And sometimes we focus too hard on those closed doors and realize, well, you know, that's just a redirection to where we need to be. So if that's you today, I encourage you, feel free to check out my website or even contact me through my website and I can uh, point you some directions that oh, might help. That's a great segue too. I was just going to ask you how, uh, please to give us your, your website, but you also have a free gift for a listener today. 
Why don't you explain I that? Do. Yeah, so my website, and it will be in the show notes. Uh, <laughs> we yep. confirmed that ahead of time because it is a little mouthful. It's my full name, Kristen Hogreff Parnell.com. And there, in addition to lots of information and resources, I do have a free gift. So you can download the first few chapters of my revisionary for free, just to get a taste of what dystopian fiction is like and if it's for you. So that's on my website and I'd love for you to check it out. Kristen, that is very kind of you. I, I'm going to go check it out myself, actually. So um, this old guy needs to, to, you know, read something a little different every once in a while. So, well, sure. Kristen, well, thank you honored. so much. Yeah, this has been great to talk to you today. Kristen Hogriff Parnell. It's uh, called The Revisionary. Go check it out on her website. And, uh, but Kristen, keep doing what you're doing, investing in young people online. And uh, it's been great to have you on the show today. It's been a pleasure. Thank you so much. Next week on the Encouragers United podcast, I get the chance to sit down with Shonda Carter, an actress and business and personal coach. And with her straight from the heart delivery, passion and energy, she inspires audiences to go beyond their real and perceived limitations and to step into their God-given potential. You won't want to miss it. You know, I have on my website the phrase, I'm a walking permission slip, because a lot of people see what I do and they go, oh my gosh, I, I wanted to do that, but I didn't, you know, I didn't know you could do that. Thanks for listening. This has been another episode of the Encouragers United podcast with me, Charlie Grimes. I would love for you to do me a favor and leave a comment and a rating for this podcast. It means more to me than you know, because that's how people are alerted about the Encouragers United podcast. I invite you to simply let me know how I'm doing, and that refers others to listen as well. I appreciate and read every one of your comments, and I'm trying to make the show better and better each week. For more information and to connect with optimistic, enthusiastic leaders all over the world, be sure to search for Encouragers United on Facebook, YouTube, and Instagram, or visit my website, charlesrgrimes.com. Mm-hmm.